appreciated teammates go the extra mile. And they saw that I was uh, right there beside them doing the same thing. And it just, it just felt natural and we had tremendous success. Hi, I'm Nils Vinya, and you're listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast, a show dedicated to demystifying leadership development one conversation at a time. Each week, I sit down with leaders in the B2B space to discuss their journey and what they've learned along the way. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous, and the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be. I'm your host, Nils Vinya, and I'm joined by Kirk Hornbaker. Kirk, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nils. Glad to be here. Awesome. Well, Kirk, before we dig into leadership and your experience and your incredible career, would you tell us first a little bit about your background, where you come from, what you're up to right now? Yes, I would love to do that. So I just spent two exciting years at a publicly traded company whom was making the transition from managed services to a SaaS-based offering. And during that time frame, I led the effort to stand up a customer success team. That sounds now exciting there. Definitely sounds like the right word for that. Can you just give us just a little sense at a high level? What does that even look like inside of a large, established, publicly traded company making that kind of a transition? Shifting from manning services to SaaS, not going to lie, it was quite difficult. I mean, we had to stand up a team from scratch, meaning we had to find employees, teammates, with inside the company that had the DNA to be a customer success manager. Along with that, we we stood up uh, the playbooks and we had to partner with sales and go through the introductions with the customers. And net-net is drive, make sure that our customers constantly saw the value of the products and services. We aligned with them on quarterly goals and and, uh, subsequently recommendations and help drive the adoption of our product. Wonderful. That sounds exciting indeed. All right. So let's let's dig in on the leadership side because you have an incredible career, a lot of experience, and a lot of incredible insight for this audience. So I want to go way, way back in the time machine. I wanted you to tell me a little bit about your first leadership role and how did you get into that leadership role? So my first leadership role was in 1993. I was working for a computer services company in the Washington, D.C. area. And one of the vendors that we used gave me a heads up about a job opportunity that would actually allow me to move back, my wife and I, to move back to our hometown. It was a small merchant acquiring business that had just spun off from a very large national bank. And... They brought me in to stand up the very first network operations center and transition the management of the merchant acquiring platform uh, away from the bank and over to this newly formed uh, company. Okay, so that sounds like a 
an incredible opportunity, number one, but a really big role to take on all of that in your, your first real leadership role. So how did you position yourself to make the transition from what you were doing before to that which they were looking for? How did that, how did that actually happen? I've always wanted to lead people uh, leading up to this opportunity. And even prior to this opportunity, though I was an individual contributor, I, I was always focused on relationships, which I believe are the foundation to our success, not only in our careers, but in our personal lives. And through those relationships, I was able to foster cross-team collaboration and I was able to influence and negotiate. So I used those skills to get through the interview process. What was really unique about this role, Niels, is everyone, when I came in, I had to interview and hire, again, from within the company, and not by intent, but every single person that worked for me at that time was 10 plus years older than me. Wow. Hang on. Okay. So you go from an individual contributor, you get into this leadership role, and now every single person that works for you has 10 more years of experience than you do? For real? 10 more years of experience in the industry, but none of them have ever led people. Okay. So tell me about some of the challenges that you faced with that level of seniority in the industry. I imagine it's kind of hard looking at this new leader coming in and you're saying, wait a second, I'm a lot more senior than Kirk. Like, how did you overcome some of that? Well, it it goes back to the previous answer. Uh, The very first thing that I did was establish relationships. I was genuine in my approach. I listened to each and every one of them to understand the current situation that we were in. I showed that I was not afraid to roll up my sleeves, just basically gain their trust and respect. Wow. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? The impact that what you just said there, being genuine, listening, not afraid to roll up the sleeves, and how much respect you can gain from people, regardless of the tenure that they have or the experience. And that's absolutely incredible, especially in a first-time leader role. So after you made the transition into that role and you established these relationships, how did you build on that success and, and what was the next step for you? That particular team, the first team that I managed, um, ended up being one of the most loyal and dedicated teams that I've had to date. Many of those people worked for me at said company for decade and a half, two decades in some cases. And uh, I'm still great friends with them all today. So it, it still comes back to the relationship, leaning in, listening, being empathetic with each and every one of them. The other thing, like a motto that I, that I kind of live by, Niels, is, is that appreciated teammates go the extra mile. And they saw that I was uh, right there beside them doing the same thing. And it just it just felt natural. And we had tremendous success. Stood that team up. We more than tenfolded the team size over over two, three years. I love your your motto of an appreciated team will go the extra mile. I do also have to call out that you are the the one person that I give the free pass to on the pronunciation of my name. So my name, for those of you that don't know who are listening, is Nils. However, Kirk told me when uh, we met a year ago that he was going to just never be able to say my name that way because of his accent. And I said, Kirk, 
you're the only person I will give the free pass to. So that's why you might hear Niels, but know that it is Niels. Just had to bring out that little bit of fun between us. It's the Pennsylvania Dutch in me. It won't let me say the name properly. So thank you. For, <laughs> Fair enough. For the pass. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, Kirk. So an appreciated team goes the extra mile. Now, as building on that success, and you've received numerous promotions throughout your career, going from managing the small team, doubling, tripling, being promoted from, you know, from manager, director, vice president level. You know, I'd love to hear about one in particular outside of that first one that we talked about that was really meaningful for you. And tell me a little bit about what the context was and what happened and what the opportunity really was for you in that promotion. Yeah. So uh, thank you for that. Great question. So with that same company, two corporate relocations later, now based out of Atlanta, a decision was made by the executive leadership team to take all of the various implementation teams across payments and merchant acquiring and put them underneath my leadership to improve upon uh, the customer experience, to, to drive process efficiency, cost containment, scale, et cetera. That was really a first big job. That is the job where I got promoted from VP to SVP. And how many people are we talking about that were in your, under your... Um... At the time, this was in 2016. It was um, 300 plus, 350 plus. Well, you've been with this particular company for a long period of time. You built a lot of trust and respect with your team, with the leadership team. So what role did all of that play in earning that promotion to now be responsible for multiple teams and departments coming together, hundreds and hundreds of people? What was it that they saw in you and said, Kirk, you're the guy to get this done? I'm starting to repeat some things because I'm, I'm really strong on these the bottom line is that it was because of the relationships that I had established in 20 years at this company and my ability to uh, collaborate, create an environment for cross-team collaboration, and then having the ability to influence and negotiate with whether it's the product team to improve the employee experience and or the customer experience or whether it's technology. You can't wait until you need a relationship to start working on one. I learned that very early on in my career. So you, you got to have the relationships in place and the ability to cross team, collaborate, influence and negotiate for the betterment of your employee experience, for the betterment of your customer experience. And with this, with those two, employee experience, customer experience comes uh, measured results. You can't get there by just focusing on one. You got to focus on both the employee and the customer. I love that. And bringing in both sides, the external and the internal. And there isn't one perfect solution. It's across the board. But the underlying themes in what I'm hearing you say are come back to the relationships that you built, uh, the cross-team collaboration, being able to influence and negotiate. So let's talk a little bit about how you've built these relationships. As you said, you know, you can't wait until you need a relationship to build one. So um, how do you go about building relationships with people? And in particular, People that you maybe don't align with from a personal or philosophical view, there's always different people and personalities. So how do you build relationships with people that you actually have trouble working with? That's a great question. I'm, I'm standing here thinking about some of the relationships that I have that are better than others actually started off rocky. 
right? It's kind of like if you if you have your if you have a problem with your Cadillac and you're frustrated that you're having a problem with your Cadillac. I'm not sure what vehicle you drive, but let's pretend like it's a Cadillac. And you take it to the Cadillac dealer and you get world-class service from the time you walk in the door to the time you leave and, and they explain everything to you, you it may resolve the issue and you move on. You, you are now happy with that Cadillac service company, even though you had a problem with their product. So I really believe that some of, I can, I'm reflecting now on some recent relationships I had with the, the company that's transitioning from from managed services to a SaaS-based company, uh, several of those relationships started rocky when I was new to the company and trying to work my way through it. But I think a couple of rules of the road here would be is empathetic, should always be empathetic and listen to what others are saying and put yourself in their shoes. And then, I don't know how to say this, but uh, I have a very personable personality. So socializing and connecting with other people has never been a problem with me, even if there are folks that that, that to your earlier question, we've we've bumped heads or we've we started off we started off rocky, but they see through time that that I'm genuine in who I am and I, I never waver from from who I want to be. We'll get back to the interview in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. The B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. Head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you've always wanted to be. Now let's get back to the interview. I'm curious if any of the leaders in your past that have worked for you, So if you've risen through the ranks, now you have other leaders who have come up underneath you and have learned from, you know, the way that you coach them and guide them in how to do a lot of the things I imagine that you did that made you successful along the lines of relationships and connecting and whatnot. Or if there are any examples of situations where leaders maybe didn't have that natural social connection ability like you have and how you've guided them and coached them to help them build relationships, even though it might not be the most comfortable thing for them to do or the most natural thing for them to do. I was recently working with you, Niels, on your 30-day leadership book and have been coaching and mentoring with you for going on a year or so now. One of the chapters in your book, I don't recall what the chapter number really resonated with me because what I would do is I would set time at the end of each week to reflect upon the week, reflect upon situations that I observed, not only with myself, but with my leaders and their interaction with other leaders. And then I would pull up with them early the next week and we would discuss how I saw the situation that occurred and ask them to reflect upon that and then just kind of talk through because maybe I didn't have all the pieces Maybe I misinterpreted it, but through each one of those experiences, they became more and more, I believe they became more and more confident in particularly interacting in, in difficult situations or where their, uh, their backs were to the wall for whatever it was that we were trying to work on and, and or were resolved. Um, so, you know, it's, and I think the other thing too there, again, this is, I'm a big fan of this. You, you got to have little wins along the way and being able to work with leaders and show them how others interpreted 
their behavior, their words, their actions, even though they didn't interpret it, helping them see that and watching the light bulb go off and then watching them kind of grow and change their behaviors go forward is, is I get so much satisfaction out of that. It's one of the, it's one of the better things of one of the main reasons why I love being a leader. That's wonderful. And, and the day in the book, 30 day leadership playbook that we're talking about here is day number nine, the specific chapter on giving feedback called feedback made simple. Uh, if you'd like to get a copy of the book, check out 3030dayleadership.com forward slash playbook. You can grab a copy. I'll personally autograph it and send it to you as well. And so having that time to reflect each week is critical. And I've heard a lot of leaders uh, do that. I've heard it from myself. I'm curious, where in your leadership career did that become a habit? I'm sure it was something maybe you started early or was it something you learned from someone else? I think over time, as I matured, not only as a, as a human, as a person, but in my job of being in leadership, in, in reflection, it was, it was expanding or growing along the way. But I think what really brought that to light was that 2016 role where they brought in, where we brought in eight plus leaders from different areas of the business, all with their own agenda, which in many cases was right for, for the portion of the business that they came from and the culture that was associated with that. So they were all working to do the right thing, but now they're, they're coming together. And we, we, we work to make the experience, the customer experience the same, regardless of the product or service. So imagine eight teams, each implementing a different product or service. My goal was to make the customer experience the same. If the customer bought A this week, it would feel like this. And if they bought B next week, it would feel like this. The product and service is different, but you can imagine eight leaders coming in with their own metrics, their own playbooks, their own guidelines, their own expectations. And we had to bring it all together as one. So maneuvering through that initially and getting the culture, working together to kind of bring the culture where we, where it needed to be to, to more customer facing, customer first culture. Um, I had had a lot of those conversations with individuals about, think about how that just, what people saw there, how that came across, think about their perspective, be empathetic, put yourself in their shoes, don't drive your own agenda. It, it was really a, a wake up moment for me in my career. That's incredible. And just thinking about bringing eight different leaders with eight different products, eight different sets of metrics, eight effectively different small companies coming together and to drive a unifying vision and help them get through it. And you were able to do it really successfully. That's, uh, that's, that's wonderful. Hat goes off to you because that is a difficult situation in any circumstance, let alone one where everybody just all of a sudden is, is under one umbrella. I'm curious for about the leaders that you have hired into your organization. So maybe, you know, that eight case was they were all coming already in, but there's been many, many leaders that you've hired. When you are interviewing leaders and looking at potential hires, what are some of the key elements that absolutely jump out to you that have to be there, the, the must-haves before you'd even consider going to another step? Number one thing I look for is, is that person going to fit into the culture that we have established is that person's personality. Does it work with the existing personalities on the team? Does that person have the drive to continue to learn and grow the aptitude? If they had all of that, I would bring them in regardless of the experience that they had because culturally they fit 
personality they fit, and they've got the drive and the willingness to learn the platform, learn the product. And you know, if, if you hire just based off a skill set and you introduce that and, and they introduce um, a conflict, a personality conflict, or they're culturally they're not aligned or as maniacally focused as my team and I were on the customer, then in my mind, it's just a matter of time before either they leave or you ask them to leave. So it's, it's all about getting the right fit up front. I love that. And you can teach so many things, but fit and alignment and personality and drive, eh, those don't usually come in the area of being able to teach those particular situations. So I'm with you there. Thank you for that advice for, you know, thinking everybody out there listening to this and thinking about, well, I have to hire leaders in my organization. How, what is the, the scorecard? What is the way that I should look at this? And here you've heard from an expert who's been doing this for going on 25 plus years of how to go about it and finding the right fit first, and then teaching all of the other, other elements that are going to be critical for their success. So let's talk about advice. You've shared a lot already in our conversation here, but I want to kind of bring it home and, and condense it down into the specific, crispy, actionable takeaways that you would give from based on all of your experience. So let's imagine you're talking, having a conversation with you way back long ago when you got into that first leadership position. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to that version of yourself way back then? Wow, I'm not sure I have time to answer this question. <laughs> I'll keep it. I'll keep it short. Number one is, if you're going back and talking to me, I would have spent more time self in self reflection. I do it weekly now, but I I, I I did it very sporadically back then. I would have spent more time in self reflection, and then coupled with that, Neil is self awareness as leaders. Many times I don't think we uh, slow down to, to uh, observe how many other folks are watching us and how we behave and how we lead, specifically when things aren't going well. That's when that's when folks are looking at leaders to, to, to lead. You know, again, I, I still go back to it. Don't wait for a relationship until you need it. Um, be confident in your abilities. Be empathetic. Be decisive. And this last one is one that comes with time and it's called intuition. As we grow in our leadership roles, we all want to make fact-based decisions, but in many cases, there's got to be some mixture of intuition there based off of the skills and where you've been in your life, in your career. When everyone that I've had the honor and privilege to work for, when they hear this, this next statement, they will, um, they will reflect back on it. But Leadership is like golf and poker. You can never perfect it, but you can always get better. <laughs> if you think about the best golfers and the best poker players, they lose more than they win, but they win more than anyone else on an individual scale. And they grow by looking at the lessons that they've learned, the experiences that they've been through, and they apply that. I believe that, you know, again, if, if you're always striving for greatness, but you know it's always going to be out of your reach, it's going to drive you to continue continue striving. So I don't know if you heard that analogy from me before, but everyone that's worked for me has heard it. I think that was a new one for me. Uh, even I love it because, uh, well, I'm not very good at 
poker and I'm not that great at golf, but I enjoy both of them and and have spent many a, tie, a day saying, wow, I should probably get a little better at this. You know, that gets to the to the heart of what I've gotten to know about you and that element of continuous improvement and just always pushing, having that drive. And I've seen that in you. I've seen that in everybody who has worked for you. Um, and it's been awesome to see what kind of an impact you can have just in one of your recent LinkedIn posts. You made a post on LinkedIn and and the comments that came back were just staggering with regards to people who would gladly line up to work for you again and again and again and wish you incredible things, just positive thoughts and statements. And it's just a testament to what you brought to the table, so much of which you've shared with us today in the form of the relationships, you know, being able to connect with people, never waiting until you need a relationship to build one. Absolutely love that statement because it gets to what we got to do all the time as leaders, right? And if you do that, the rest becomes infinitely easier, but if you don't do it, then the working with other people is going to be a whole lot more difficult. <laughs> That's for sure. Absolutely. You can't collaborate, cross-collaborate with team members, influence and negotiate. It's, it's really hard to get things done. That's right. So one last question on the intuition piece, because this is a really in, insightful um, area. And you mentioned it coming as the result of a lot of experience. So knowing what you know now, thinking back to other leaders, maybe you've worked uh, who have worked for you or yourself even, at the time when you didn't have that level of intuition to be able to make some of those decisions, what advice or guidance would you give to people who have to make decisions, but maybe aren't that comfortable doing it as you are now, given the experiences that you've had? In, in the earlier years of my leadership, um, very fact-based, which would tend to slow down decisions, ultimately slowing down results of said outcome of that decision. And I, I think if you're fact-based and you're early on in your, in your leadership role and you don't have the years of experience to reflect upon intuition or gut feeling, I would say it's okay to make mistakes as long as you learn from them. As long as you learn from them. If, you, if you're making a decision and it's a risky decision, you just have to monitor progress and react quickly if you see it going the wrong way so that you can course adjust. So I would say it's okay to make mistakes as long as you learn from them. The CEO at, uh, the, CEO at, our, at the previous company the, the company making the transition from, from managed services to, to SaaS used to say that to the executive leadership team and the leadership uh, operations council. It, you could just see a relief on the team as people knew it was okay to make decisions. And some were made, but, but many weren't. And it, but, but the fact that they knew that that was there and they could maneuver through that, it was just it was much better culture, much better culture. Well, and it's really interesting that even if the environment is there where it's okay to make decisions, I mean, the vast majority of the, you know, SaaS world and fast growing companies, it's kind of a mantra, like fail fast. Many books have been written, entire, you know, followings around those tenants exist. However, even inside those environments, sometimes it's still hard. Sometimes it's still hard to put yourself because you will still be making a mistake and you personally might have a certain opinion about what it means to make a mistake. Even though somebody else said make a mistake, it can still be a little bit of a challenge. So um, I love your advice that, you know, one, it's okay, but two, make the decision and then just monitor and react and change and adjust. Like, that's okay. Then you're not technically making a mistake. You're just experimenting and moving forward and adjusting as you go. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. 
Kirk, awesome. This has been a wonderful conversation. Our audience has learned a tremendous amount of insight from you and your vast leadership experience. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Um, if uh, somebody wants to connect you with you on LinkedIn, get to know you a little bit better, um, or send you, drop you a note and say how much they appreciate your advice, where can they find you and how do they get to you on LinkedIn? So I am on, um, I am on LinkedIn uh, underneath Kirk Hornbaker. Can I send you the link that you can attach to this somehow if you want to do it that way? Absolutely. We'll have a link in the show notes uh, for the link to Kirk's profile. Connect with him. Tell him what you thought about this. And thank you so much for being a guest, Kirk. And I'll take care and I'll have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you, Neil. Appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd welcome you to subscribe and give the show a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at b2bleadershippodcast.com. As always, I'm Nils Vinya, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Take care and have a great rest of your day. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous, and the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be.